The Carlton Draft is back for 2024, ladies and gentlemen, and I am making my football return for the mighty, the powerful, the strong, the loyal, did I say mighty, Tura Magpies. And I cannot absolutely wait to get down there and dominate with a beautiful bunch of people down there in East Gippsland. It's going to be a very, very fun time, and I'm very, very excited. Along with myself, there is some AFL absolute greats uh, some of the biggest names to ever play the game, including Trent Cochin, Isaac Smith, Matthew Lloyd, Lee Montagna, and Aaron Phillips, playing for some local community clubs and doing awesome things. So make sure you get down and watch. So head to www.carltondraft.com. That's traditionally spelled Carlton Draft. Forward slash the dash Carlton dash draft, D-R-A-F-T. So www.carltondraft.com.au forward slash the dash Carlton dash draft. Believe me, ladies and gentlemen, that is easier than I'm making it sound. So head to that website and find out more about where the players are playing and when the games are on. You can also head to the link in the show notes to click that link. And don't forget, 18 plus, drink responsibly. Cobram Estate is the most awarded Australian extra virgin olive oil. Let it be the hero when entertaining family and friends. Cobram Estate extra virgin olive oil is fresh and full of flavour. Perfect for roasting, frying, baking, dressing salads and for dipping bread. Make your food taste even better with a little help from Cobram Estate. Whether it's infused, ultra premium or everyday essentials, they have the perfect oil for you. Buy in store at all major retailers. Welcome back to the Dylan Friends podcast this week on the show... Alastair Clarkson, undoubtedly one of the most respected people in the AFL landscape, and with good reason. Clarko has become a household name for his incredible success across four premierships in 2008 and the 2013-15 three-peat. He spent time prior to his coaching career as a teacher, so it came as no surprise when Hawthorne became an AFL senior coach factory, with Clarko overseeing the coaching development of names like Damien Hardwick, Adam Simpson, Chris Fagan, Luke Beveridge, and Leon Cameron. Between premiership talks, we took the time to discuss a topic that's close to Clarko and my heart, mental health, a space in which we're both committed ambassadors to tackle your feelings, a training program designed for local footy clubs to improve the understanding and awareness around mental health. Clarko is a massive pioneer in coaching innovation and education, and today he taught me plenty. Like anyone who has followed the AFL for the past two decades, you'd love to know what's going on inside one of the most revered minds in the industry, and today we got to scratch the surface. It was an absolute honour to have Alistair on the show, and I hope you enjoy the chat with my now friend, Clarko. But before we get into it, I need to thank some absolute superstars for joining Dylan Best Friends, IllyXX members. I am honestly shocked at how much support has been flourishing through the doors, and I honestly didn't realise how much fun the Discord chat room would be. So a massive thank you to Tom O'Leary, Kyra Bailey, Dan Cleary, Bailey Summer, Lockie Kerr, Caleb Fowler, Jeb Manton, Sam Gilbert, Jeremy Gorski, Mitch York, Darcy Blakey, John Malcolm, Matthew Gould, Nick Beggs, Karen Zachnick, Corey Sellers, Blair Archer, Fraser Good, Leah Farrell, Zach Gray, Daniel Hill, Shane Calton, Harley Judd, Ricky Flynn, Martin Kelly, Cole Potter, Aaron Murray, Tyson Hoy, Jack Woodall, and Bailey Forsman. Thank you so much. Looking forward to some fun to come. Let's go. My name is Deborah, Dylan's mum. Welcome to the Dylan Friends podcast. Many ways, I've been waiting my whole life for this moment. Tears, tears, tears. Strength. I'm like, I run. She's like, everyone runs. I'm like, but does everyone go to the Olympics? They're sitting there meditating, going, oh my God, I think I'm meditating. How come this is for meditating? We had a Wu Tang call. I was like, yo, Dylan, thanks for getting us in. Just love it. It's knuckle puck time. (laughs) Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. Alistair Clarkson, welcome to the Dylan Friends podcast. And my friends, absolute pleasure, honored to have you in the studio. Good to be here, mate. Mate, I I must admit, I'm a little bit nervous. to have you in today. I, I've obviously played a bit of footy. I'm not sure if you remember, I played a bit of footy. Um, I remember that. I, I should be the one that's nervous because you're a relation of the great Jimmy Buckley. Yes, that is who true. Who chased me around the ground <laughs> in London, <laughs> smacking me behind the ear every, every minute he could get. So there's a bit of, there's a bit of Buckley Clarkson history. Yeah, well, I was actually not going to bring that up. I, I spoke to Dad last night and told him I got Clarko coming in tomorrow and he said, don't mention my name. <laughs> Don't mention my name. Um, yeah, tell anyone referring to that Battle of Britain, but we will, we will move on from that. My reasons are actually different. Um, sitting down with senior coaches has never been something that's been a big passion of mine. I loved it, but unfortunately it just always ended up in heartbreak. So I'm just hoping today it's a little bit nicer and we can, we can have it on a good note. Yeah, well, let's see how we go. <laughs> um, mate, 
obviously happy new year we're, we're in the new year it's a, it's a big year for, for everyone really out of covid but hopefully things track normal but um i suppose any year more than ever it was a good time to relax and, and get a break what'd you get up to in the off season what'd you do spend time with the family get away yeah well i was only saying to a mate yesterday that uh that everyone's sort of getting back into town now from their from their own christmas breaks and I said, uh, you know, how'd you go over the last two weeks? And I said, oh, same as every two weeks across Christmas and New Year, um, the best two weeks of the year for me. Um, you, can, you can chill from footy a little bit and um, you're around all your, all your family and friends, basically. For the, and, and, and for a coach, that's the thing that probably gets sacrificed the most. Yep. And so, um, you know, I get to the end of this two weeks and it's just like uh, my wife, Karen... And I both said to each other yesterday, oh, shit, the two weeks is over now. <laughs> you know, like we've got to wait until um, you know, this this time next year to uh, to have that opportunity again. But yeah, we have a we have a great time and I remember those chats where you'd sit down at the at the end of the year and you say Christmas bake and, and the coach would be pretty strong on this, boys, look after yourself. Um, you know, no no fights, no injuries, get things right. Um, do you have those chats with your players? Yeah, on a regular basis, and within our club, and this will now become outside of our club. We talk about the four P's, uh, which is the piss, the punt, the penis, and the powder. Yep. Um, and where there's where there's strife in anyone's life, by and large, one of those four is going to get you. Yep. Um, and it's three of them are legal. One of them's illegal, uh, but three three of them are legal. So th- certainly the legal ones, it's just like well. You're allowed to have a punt, and you're allowed to go out and have a drink, and um, and you're allowed to you know spend spend time with a uh, a lady or male partner. But um, but if you do those things excessively and foolishly, then you're going to find yourself in a little bit of trouble. And so um, we talk about our guys just on a regular basis, um, and not always me to the players and the players yep. to me. Sometimes just breaking groups and just. Have a chat about where in this next two or three weeks you might find yourself in a vulnerable position, and uh, think about it before you go into the uh, into the scenario, rather than reflect afterwards. Um, because the reflecting afterwards might be a different scenario than actually giving it some thought beforehand, um, and that includes you know you're going to have a drink, you're going to drive, um, and uh, you know if you go if you go into a uh, an environment with mates. Uh, who are the mates? Do they understand the footy environment? Do they understand your professionalism, the, the background, all that sort of stuff of what you do and what your expectations are? And um, so, just it's just a little bit around preparation and thought. And um, you know, we're, we're dealing with young men; they're not going to get it right all the time. We know that there's uh, mistakes to be made, and. Um, and many make them, including me. Uh, I made plenty over my journey, but um, what we try to do is now pass on our wisdom of the mistakes mm. that we've made and hope that we can prepare our guys as best we can to avoid some of them. And there's there's pitfalls everywhere, but uh, by and large it's held us in pretty good stead. Um, but um, And we have a bit of fun with it too. It, and it, it also just uh, normalises it a little bit because what these lads, young lads are going through, um, you know, we come from a family of boys, so... You know, I was, I, was, I was the youngest of, of a big family and, um, you know, whatever's, whatever's been transgressed has probably been transgressed in my family. And um, so uh, I just try to pass on as best I can uh, the wisdom of our ways. Yeah, you couldn't have nailed it anymore. Um, although the players have actually thought maybe you need a bit of help <laughs> with this because they want to add something into these four Ps. They want to call it the five Ps. And it's farming with a pH. <laughs> now, they're saying that this farm of yours, that we we're talking about off air, but you, you, you are a country boy. They reckon the farm might be causing you more harm than good at this stage. <laughs> do, you have any, do you have any comments on that? Well, it has uh, the, last, the last 12 months I've been hospitalised three times from the farm. <laughs> one, uh, one, I, I, was, uh, I, was, I was grinding some steel posts and... Um, and I was wearing I was wearing the goggles, but I'm not sure if you've ever been on a on an angle grinder. But it's the worst job, and so I had a lot of posts that I need to angle grind down. So it was just like I'll do one at a time, and then go and do something else, and then come back. And and um, I was wearing I was wearing the goggles, but because I was going and doing some mowing or some other work, and then I'd come back. This one time I came back, I forgot to put the goggles on. PPA. So 
needless to say, I got a little bit of steel in the eye um, that required hospitalisation and they actually took a bit of a chunk out of the white of my eye when they needed to remove it. So that, that caused me a bit of eye, <laughs> eye trouble yeah. for, for a couple of weeks just before Christmas of 2020. Uh, or t- 2019, sorry, and then um, and then I I, I uh, got myself in a uh, in, in an accident involving a bit of <laughs> a bit of uh, petrol and a, and a fire <laughs> that, uh, that that gave me a bit of a singe and a bit of a fright. Um, ironically, around the time that we we're helping out um, the Corriong and, and Bucking communities following the fires, yes, this time last yep. year, so. It was a little bit embarrassing that you know I was uh, I was singed as a result of a as a result of a fire and um, and then just more more recently I nearly uh, nearly broke my hand squashing my hand between a sleeper and a blue stone and it, um, yeah so the players are yeah <laughs> got good reason okay. to think that maybe I'm going to be a going to be a casualty of that farm <laughs> um, but um, I, it's a it's a that uh, it's a great escape for me and um, as you said I'm originally a country boy and. Even though I weren't, um, my family weren't on a farm. My father was a builder, and um, mum was a kindergarten teacher. But yeah, you know, the our whole community was really was really farming. All my mates were from farms, and spent a lot of time on the land when I was a kid. And um, so, having that little uh, three or four acres down on the Mornington Peninsula is just a, an escape for me that just really takes me back to my childhood. But it's a dangerous, dangerous. escape at the minute. I need to be very, very careful. So going back to that boy from is it Kavina or Kavina? Caniva. Okay, neither. Yeah. Fantastic. <laughs> so that's a town of 803 people. Yeah. Tiny. Yeah. You look back now, growing up in Caniva, you're a 134-game player, which unfortunately today, if we touched on everything, we would be here for weeks. Four-time premiership coach, and now you're a Dylan Friends podcast member. <laughs> you look back now, like, and I know you're still in your career, in, in your prime, really. There's so, so many more times to go and hopefully some more flags on the belt, but in a little bit of reflection now, do you sit back and go, fuck, like, I, I couldn't imagine this? I always has a great passion uh, for sport. You know, there's a, there was a guy back in back in Caniva. Um, as, as I said, I came from a, a big family and um, my father was an Englishman who um, was born in 1928. He died two years ago. He had a great life. Um, but um, his his early years growing up in the, in the UK... Um, you know, his, his first decade of his life was the Great Depression of the 1930s, for instance, and then get to the end of the 1930s and bugger me, Second World War starts. Um, you know, he was mucking around with a couple of mates um, and one, one of his mates picked up a, a live hand grenade. Um, and Dad um, and Dad got, got shrapnel, um, shrapnel injuries from that, um, letting off of that, that grenade. So... Um, he had to leave school when he was 13 because anyone that could put food on the table um, did so at that point in time. So Dad became an a, a apprentice carpenter, but, you know, like he did an eight-year apprenticeship, would you believe, where, you know, he learned how to, you know, the joins of timber and he, like, he became a real craftsman. Um, but um, by the end of that eight-year stretch, he's, you know, in his early 20s and um, there's this... this a great promised land in the southern hemisphere of Australia um, that's got sun, that's got opportunity, and um, at that point in time, Europe, right across Europe, they called them 10-pound ponds where they paid £10 mm. to get on a boat, a one-way ticket, um, and he and some of his mates got on that boat, but I thought it was just, they could, because they called 10-pound ponds, I thought it was just Englishmen, but it wasn't. It was a lot of people right throughout Europe because... You know, Italy and Macedonia and Germany and a lot of a lot of European countries were depressed at that point in time, and so Dad came out here and uh, when he got here, it was just like shirt on his back type of stuff, uh, a couple of belongings in his bag, photograph perhaps of his brother and his parents, and that was it. And then uh, made his way. He got sent to, sent to Rainbow up in Western Victoria because they said that's where there's work up there. Um, you know, building shearing sheds and fences and all sorts of things and doing whatever he could. And um, then that dried up and he said, oh, they said to him, well, there's more work at Caniva, so go there. So he went there after 12 months in Rainbow and um, and my mum was a was a teacher and she got posted to Caniva. She was a Geelong girl originally. She got posted to Caniva yeah. as one of her first jobs. You know, like, what? <laughs> Poor bugger, she used to, <laughs> like four and a half hours, five hours to the west, and it's just desert. 
more or less, and just wheat hot, um, wheat country. And um, so they met, and you know they had five children. And but um, my my eldest my eldest brother, ten years older than me, and uh, dad worked worked so hard because he didn't have an education. He wanted to be able to provide his five children with education. So all five of us got the opportunity to go away to uh, to boarding school, um, and uh, have the best education and not just about the education but also uh, as you said canova's got very few people so um you know in all my classes there was 20 in the class you know whereas i go to school at boarding school in ballarat and there's a there's 150 in mm. my class of year 12 you know so uh, this is the diversity of people you know i was i was going to school in canova and this is no drama but i was going to school in canova with guys who you know nine nine of my classmates um were sons of farmers, um, and the, so their aspiration was just take over the the land from their dad. Um, whereas, um, whereas you get down to get down to Ballarat, and you've got guys who wanted to play footy. You got guys who wanted to you know be a uh, be an Olympic rower. Um, you got guys that wanted to be doctors, lawyers, you know, like businessmen. It was just like, geez, just opened my eyes up to the world just simply by going from. Canova to Ballarat. Now Ballarat's not a big place either. Mm. Now that I've been in Melbourne, but um, but for me it was just such a such an eye opener. So so my father and, and mum, who was in education, uh, wanted us to have that sort of opportunity. So, um, but to do that, Dad had to work damn hard, and he did. Um, and he to put us all through boarding school. It's a it was a costly exercise for five of us. So he he worked hard, and we had this uh, we had this guy that was a mate of. Um, my elder brother, um, so there's a, there's a significant gap, but he was like a second father to me. His name was Oscar Harrison, um, and he loved sport, and um, he was like a second dad to me. So I just dagged around with him so much, and um, whether it was cricket or footy, um, I knew that my passion was in those two sports, and that my uh, my ambition was could I live a life in these sports. Um, and um, yeah, footy ended up being the the calling for me. Um, still love my cricket, and still get enormously disappointed when the Aussies don't go so well like they did in the second test. And <laughs> you know, Boxing Day was a disaster for us. But um, you know, very passionate about my cricket and and uh, love uh, love following it. But it, it wasn't uh, wasn't something that I was good enough to pursue. Um, and make a career out of, but footy has been, and I've been really very fortunate to be involved in the game for a long period of time. Yeah, well, just just hearing you talk, then I think one thing that's that's evident is that you definitely you are grateful. Um, and I don't know if that's something that you practice. I'm sure it is something that you know you're well aware of. Um, but it's something that we love to, to talk about in the show is like being you know thinking back to why you're actually here and the, how blessed we are to even be doing what we're doing. Um, and yeah, I'm not surprised by the answer at all because it's it's got you to where you are now, and you really appreciate those small things that have got you to to where you are. Looking into your coaching career now, um, you know, fast forward your, your time getting in. I suppose one thing I'd, I've always wanted to know about yourself is, and I know that it's hard for you to say because it might be embarrassing, but like you, from an outside perspective, it seems like you have honestly you've you've come up with a lot of things, a lot of game changing things that have changed the game. Was that evident? Like early, did you think that? you could have done these things or did it sort of transgress and you develop these ideologies as, as, as you've come along and, and learnt as, as you've, you know, had time in the game as a coach? Yeah, it's a good question. I've never really uh, thought, thought about it in depth, albeit it, it probably, it probably comes from, uh, from uh, upbringing and uh, the messages that were indoctrinated from, uh, from my parents that um, at 14 years of age, I'm, I'm, out of home in essence and independent and having to look after myself to an extent because I'm away at boarding school in Ballarat. Um, so there was always this um, explore, innovate, um, create uh, independence of your own thinking and, um, and being accountable for your own um, decision-making, whether that was you know, what you're going to wear, uh, where you're going to go, um, what time you're going to get home, whether you're going to drive, whether you're going to drink, um, your own behaviour was all about you, really. And so that uh, that independence, I think, is probably. And I, you know, I had to go through go through some hard yards 
um, not just not just me individually, but my, my family. I lost a, lost a brother when I was um, when I was at boarding school. You know, he, he was killed in a car accident in Ballarat, and so that that smacked the family around big time. Um, and but it's all it's, it's well, I don't want to uh, dismiss it because it was such a huge impact on our family. But you know, you you learn to try to develop reason out of these things and um, and just understand that it's all part of the journey. There's mm. there's there's hurdles to overcome everywhere, and um, that's probably the thing that I can bring, particularly at my age now as a coach. It's the um, it's this empathy um, as a as a father figure to a lot of these players now that. Um, you understand the pitfalls of life, not just the pitfalls of footy. Now, the pitfalls of footy are even more significant because of the, the public nature of the game, the expectation, uh, the popularity of the game, uh, the difficulty of the game. is a very, very complex and difficult game to play. Um, and so that puts added pressure on young men. So how can you alleviate some of that pressure? How can you, how can you, you know, we spoke about the four Ps before, how can I forewarn these kids that, yeah, there's there's landmines everywhere across this Christmas break, boys. Just be careful the way that you navigate them. Uh, if you do stuff up, I'm here to put my arm around you. Sometimes a kick up the ass and a slap across the ear hole, uh, but sometimes also a nurturing cuddle to say, "Listen, it's going to be okay. We'll get through this." But um, yeah, it's it's um, it's it's probably it's probably that that. That uh, that opportunity I got early on, and you know, my father got that opportunity when he was twenty something years of age. Uh, my mum, believe it or not, you know, got that opportunity. Her first teaching appointment was you know, four or five hours away to the west, and so she needed to you know find herself in that period of time too. And uh, and out of that, good things happened to them. My father and my mother met, and um, and they created a really beautiful life for one another. Um, they loved the Kanaifa community, um, and they invested and they least invested in their family and their and their friends. And out of that, they lived really, really good lives. Um, not good lives in terms of being you know wealthy, but rich lives in terms of you know their their friendships and their family and uh, then their community. And um, that's rubbed off significantly on me, and it's it's helped me enormously. I think in terms of. Um, yeah, we use this saying: uh, "Do not follow where the path may lead; create your own path and leave a trail." So it was—it's all about don't necessarily follow anyone else and and just copy. Um, albeit in sport, the copycat of it. You know, that's yeah, that's why I travel. It's just like, geez, um, you know, Bill Belichick's doing this at the New England Patriots. I wonder if we could do that here. Um, you know, Arsene Wenger's doing that at uh, at Arsenal. I wonder if we could do that here. You know. Um, Steve Kerr's doing that at the Golden State Warriors. Geez, I, w- I wonder if that could apply to Australian rules footy. You know, so there's a lot of copycat sort of stuff, but it's really looking at something and then uh, trying to modify it to what your environment is or what your game is, and um, seeing where it goes. So I think it's just I think it's just evolved over time. But I'm, I'm what I am certain of is that my upbringing has significantly influenced that. I love that. I I, I think to just further your point. And- you know, by no means am I experiencing life at all. I have no idea what the fuck's going on. But I do know that the best thing that I ever did, and it was by no choice at all, but it was move out of home and throw myself into a space. When I left Sydney, I had to grow up. Like I was so – I didn't realise how babied I was. And I think that you speak to a lot of guys that have gone to boarding school and, you know, you know guys I've met, I think it's it does force you to grow up and you know that no one's there to bail you out. So you do have to – you can ingrain those standards in early yep. into your mind. Um so no, I definitely resonate with that, and I had to learn those probably a bit harder because it was later, and it's harder to change those habits. But if I if I didn't do that, I wouldn't be you know doing this today and sitting down with you chatting. So I'm forever grateful for that. Um, let's talk about what, what you just brought up then with with guys that you may have you, you look towards um, other coaches and, and innovate from from games and think you can bring them to um, to AFL or or anything really in, in terms of structure or maybe on field off field. I suppose it's a two part, but is there anyone that you really admire, whether that be in sports or outside of sports, in business, politics, um, that you, you really look up to and you, you admire in their facet? And two, in terms of those um, going on trips, have you met any of those people before? I think you said you went to England and I spoke to one of the boys yesterday about I think that might be where you know the idea of the press came. Yeah. Yeah, well, I, um, 
was I was really fortunate early in my time at um, at Hawthorne. I got to meet a guy called Phil Gartside, who was um, uh, an English businessman, but he had he had um, business interests here in Australia that would have him travel here five or six times a year. And one of the one of the guys who um, who managed one of his uh, one of his businesses here in Australia was a Hawthorne supporter. So when Phil would come across to Australia, um, and he, ironically now he's the he's the uh, the president of Box Hill Box Hill Hawks. His name's Ed Sill. So Ed Ed managed some of uh, Phil's businesses here in Australia. Um, so every time Phil came across and for, for business reasons, um, Ed would take him to the footy. Now this was in two thousand and three, two thousand and four. Um, the Hawks weren't such a, a great side at that point in time. They were going through their their battles. Ed had take Phil to the Phil to the footy. So um, this one particular occasion, I'd just been um, got through my. I think it was the end of my end of my first year, and it was the the Peter Crimmins Medal. And um, Phil came to the event with uh, with Ed Sill, introduced me. Um, Phil in his um, uh, in his business dealings, it also um, risen to a level where he was uh, sought after by anyone to sit on boards and one of those boards was um, the Bolton Wanderers Football Club in, in Premier League um, and he'd been involved in uh, in Bolton for a long period of time and um, and they were in the Premier League under, under the management of Sam Aldadice at that point in time and, and they, they punched well above their weight in terms of the size of that town and you know, to be competing against the Man United's mm. and the Chelsea's and Man City's and uh, and Liverpool, so they're up in the northwest of uh, of England, and so um, he said, "Anytime you want to come over, come and um, you can just be a fly on the wall and listen to everything that goes on here." And um, that's that's really where it all started. And Phil has since passed away, really sadly. It um, he had a he had a brain tumor and and, and died about oh, six or seven years ago. I, I think it would be now, and um, but as a young man, sixty-two years of age, and yeah, you know, I've I've been a little bit of a lost soul in a sense ever since he's passed because he was such a mentor for a strong mentor for a long period of time for me, um, but opened up the doors to so many opportunities, you know, people to meet and um, and clubs to visit, and, and not just not just clubs, but. Um, but businesses and organisations, and um, right through right through Europe, and um, yeah, he was a uh, he was a fantastic fantastic mentor, and uh, it gave me the opportunity to see things from a different different perspective. Um, and a lot of those things we've been able to bring back to our game, um, and some of it, some of it is, was to do with my professional life, and some of it was to do with my personal life. But all, all I do know is that his influence on me and my family, or my family and I. Um, was was profound. No, it's huge, and I think it's as you said. If you don't have those mentors, it's hard to to learn those things. Is that though? I suppose going to the that football club is that actually where those ideas start to develop of of the press? Or was it other functions as well? Uh, yeah, I, I can remember. Um, you know, watching. I think on the on the AB, on the ABC when I was a kid. You know, Dad wasn't a huge um, football follower, but um, we. would we watched watch match of the day that came on. I think it was on a Monday night on the ABC. Um, I remember watching Tottenham Hotspur and a guy called Glenn Hoddle and just being mesmerised by this by this game because their the support of their crowds was just so passionate. Hooligans mad, really, but I just I just loved the the game of English football. And so um, a difference when you become a coach is just like, well, what are the things are they doing there? Both with the management of their players and their people and their training methods and all that sort of stuff that we could we could adopt and help us back here in Australia because we are we're a long way from anywhere in in Australia and to actually get that uh, there's a lot of things going on in the northern hemisphere that are that are fantastic innovation um, mind you there's a lot of things going on in Australia because we're an island and a big island but. Um, because we've had to be independent and forge our own way and cope with adversity, we've also now at a point where we do things a hell of a lot quicker and better than what they do in the Northern Hemisphere. Mm. But the people in the Northern Hemisphere don't want to travel too much. No. <laughs> so they, when, when we say that we've spent 26 hours on the plane to get to the UK and we're prepared to you know, go back in three days, 
they just can't believe it. If, yeah. they're, if they're going to be on a plane for 26 hours, they're staying for six months, you know. <laughs> um, but they're staying in Bondi. They don't really leave. Yeah, yeah. But they're, but they're, they're un, unlikely to want to come to explore in Australia. Yeah. So ultimately we have to get on a plane and go to them. But if you get the right environment, like I was fortunate enough to get at Bolton and then have an entree into so many other clubs as a result of Phil introducing me to so many people, um, that that ended up transcending to America. And so then North American contacts and clubs and organisations became a great source of, uh, of information for us as well. But it's just bringing uh, innovative ideas back to our environment here, uh, whether they are to do with on-field or off-field, uh, to, to assist us. And, um, yeah, that that continues to be a great passion. And one of the, the, the great difficulties that we're confronting right now is that we can't get it we can't get outside our country which is um, not great to, f- to be able to continue that innovation no it's not the Carlton draft is back for 2024 ladies and gentlemen and I am making my football return for the mighty the powerful the strong the loyal did I say mighty Tura magpies and I cannot absolutely wait to get down there and dominate with a beautiful bunch of people down there in East Gippsland. It's going to be a very, very fun time and I'm very, very excited. Along with myself, there is some AFL absolute greats. Uh, some of the biggest names to ever play the game, including Trent Cochin, Isaac Smith, Matthew Lloyd, Lee Montagna and Aaron Phillips playing for some local community clubs and doing awesome things. So make sure you get down and watch. So head to www.carltondraft.com. That's traditionally spelled Carlton Draft. Forward slash the dash Carlton dash draft, D-R-A-F-T. So www.carltondraft.com.au forward slash the dash Carlton dash draft. Believe me, ladies and gentlemen, that is easier than I'm making it sound. So head to that website and find out more about where the players are playing and when the games are on. You can also head to the link in the show notes to click that link. And don't forget, 18 plus, drink responsibly. Going forward, I suppose, now, because uh, that innovation has got you to where we are today, four-time premiership coach, um, 08, obviously, a big, big one. I remember watching, that was probably the first game as a young kid that I really watched when I was really getting into footy. And I, I just remember that game so clearly. Um and then fast forward, you know, 2012 obviously went down to Sydney, um, 13, 14, 15 from there. When you reflect on that now, you look back, is it, is it somewhat of a blur or there, is it still sort of you can break down memories of, of each game? Like if you go back to 08, for example, Geelong that year were nearly the best team of the year, but on the day the Hawks were the best team on the day. Yeah, yeah. What, what's your memories of, of 2008? Um, well, you're, you're right. Geelong were, the, were a stellar side. Um, yeah, Bomber, um, Bomber had put together a really good group of uh, group of young players, and you know Wellesley was uh, heavily involved in that. Stephen Wells is their recruiting guy, um, and they'd really based it around a, a three-year um, drafting period from '99 through to 2001. Ironically enough, uh, Hawthorne too, just despite everyone talking about Hawthorne's success. Um, being based around our our 04 draft with Franklin Lewis and Ruffhead and no one can question that. But it was probably that 2001 draft where Geelong did so well too. You know, mm. they got Ablett and, um, and Bartell and Stevie. Kelly. Um, now Stevie J was a little bit earlier, but, but you know, across that three years, you know, Stevie J and you know, Scarlett came in at that point, that point in time, you know, Cameron Ling. Uh, some great players, so they tra- they drafted really, really smartly and really astutely and well. Um, but Hawthorne did too. In two thousand and one, they made a really tough decision to um, to to trade for the number one number one pick. You know, mm. they traded Crody, who was a, a an upper cover at that point in time. He went to Fremantle. They got Fremantle's number one pick, and they used it on on Hodgie. But in that draft, we also got Sam Mitchell, Campbell Brown, um, Rick Ladson. Yes. Um, and all those guys went on to be really, really good players for our footy club, two of them Hall of Famers, uh, ultimately in Hodge and Mitchell. So um, they and Geelong's, we probably tracked a little bit behind Long, where our group was then complemented by the 2004 draft, which was Franklin, Roughhead, um, Lewis, and then you know, Birchall and Rioli came in the, couple of years, in the next couple of years too. So we now had a complement of eight to ten players that you could just really build an era of success around. 
Um, but in 2000 and, uh, 2008, we we're still sort of on our journey a little mm. bit. We thought that our, our significant window of opportunity was, was going to probably start about um, 2010 and, um, and then you know, maybe last for a five-year five year period, um, which ended up being true in a sense because in you know, you know, that period through 12 to, 12 to 16, we were really, really strong. Um, but we jumped out of the box and one you know, we got our, we got our culture right um, you know, we got uh, we got the right people in the right positions at the footy club uh, including at playing level two and um, ultimately when you um, when you get the culture right of your footy club good things can happen and good things can happen quickly and um, but um, Geelong had won it in 2007 after having a a poorish year from their stands in 2006. Bomber nearly got mm. got sacked as the coach. Um, they st- they stuck fat as a footy club, which I loved. Um, you know, I loved that with you know, with Bucks and Dimmer more more recently. Um, you know, stability and continuity is such important parts of, of footy clubs, and um, so they stuck fat with uh, with Bomber. And then the next year they won the flag. They smacked Port Adelaide. Um, who I'd been to Port Adelaide, so I knew the quality of their playing group and the quality of their coaching group and their club, um, and got smacked by a record margin. So Geelong are now in that that box seat window of like, who's going to stop them, sort of thing. Um, but you know, we pl- we played them about round seventeen um, in the home and away series, and you know, Hodgie Hodgie of all our players, you know, made some mistakes in the last quarter of that game. We ended up getting rolled by ten points. Um, but we're in. We're, we're a really big chance to win that game, and we, and Hodgie of of all our players made three blues in that last quarter because he was um, he wasn't captain of the club, but one of our leading players. But he thought that's like it's close time, game. Yeah. It's, if this needs to be won, I'm gonna win. I can remember right, it seems clearly in the middle of the ground trying to take on the man on the mark. Hodgie's got some great attributes, but <laughs> running around the man on the mark isn't one of them. He tried to take on this bloke, um, got stripped of the footy, ball went down the other end. I can't remember if there was a score, but we certainly lost territory. Yep. And it was so un, un-hodgy. And, but in his life, this is the thing about you know, things that are going on in, in one another's lives. You know, Lauren was pregnant with their first child, Cooper, and, um, you know, it, like for him to have made three mistakes, but by the end of the game, lost the game by 10 points, the players are... You know, distraught. You know, that was a game that we should have won. And but I'm also thinking to myself, you know, I could get down in the rooms and blow my top because we just lost a game that we shouldn't have lost. Um, or I could get down in the rooms and say, "Hey, boys, we can beat these guys." Um, hopefully, we get another chance later in the year. Um, and for the players at that point in time, um, they were expecting me to blow my top. Mm. But the reassurance that came from, "Geez, if we get another chance, we know." We know we we so we're not we're not guarantees, but we know we're going to be in the ballpark. Now we're a bit lucky in the grand final. You know the Cats kicked, oh geez, one goal ten or or two goals nine or some ludicrous um, uh, scoring ratio um, in the second quarter that should have had them up by three or four goals at, at half time. So we're lucky to still be in the game at that point in time. When I say in the game, we're in front at half time about a point or something, but only because of some some poor kicking by the cats but um we did recruit a little fella not a little fella he's actually a big fella stewie jew and he <laughs> he uh, he, t- he turned it on in the in in the third quarter um with a, a 10 minute patch of footy that um created five goal scoring opportunities for us and it really split the difference of the game you know we went from being a reasonably even game to being 30 points up and um you know and geelong rallied um, late in the third and early in the last, but uh, ultimately, um, I think Bud kicked a goal early in the early in the last quarter that was probably going to put it just beyond them. But um, yeah, we got got good memories of all all of those years. But two thousand eight was pretty special because um, we'd come from such a long way back. You know, two thousand and four were pretty much the laughing stock of the competition. Um, but to to Swabby's Swabby's defences, the coach before me. Um, the club hadn't we'd, we'd come out of nine, 91 winning the flag and then five years later you know, Hawthorne had won so many premierships in you know, two or three decades 
um, five years after they win their last flag, they're now in a merger discussion mm. and on their knees as a footy club. It's just like, hey, how could, how could that happen? So all their, all their resources, to be fair, at that point in time for the next, you know, you know, six or eight years were all channeled towards how could the club just survive. So they didn't put a lot of, uh, a lot of resource to the footy program. It was just like, on, 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 we just got to get the club to survive and get it financially stable again. Um, so Swabby was hand, handcuffed significantly when he was the coach of the club, which is really unfortunate because he's a great man, a great Hawthorne man, great values and a great person. And um, But he didn't, he didn't have the resources. I was really fortunate um, that uh, Jason Dunstall was the, was the director of, um, of footy at the time that I became the coach. And that was also at the time where the club had stabilised that they could now invest some invest some time in footy, including the professional development of coaches and the opportunity for me when Phil Gartside offers an opportunity to go to Bolton, that the club would say, yeah, we'll, we'll find five or $10,000 for you to actually get on a plane and go to Bolton mm. and learn some stuff and bring it back and how can it, how can it help us? Um, you know, the club had always been in that mindset of innovation, but they just didn't have the financial um, clout to be able to provide those opportunities for, for their staff or for their, for their players. And so um, I came in at a time where we could be more productive in that sense and we got our, we got our culture right um, and we're able to you know, have, have success a lot, mm. a lot earlier. Then, unfortunately, 2009, you know, um, you know, Clinton Young hurt his, hurt his ankle in the grand final. Crody uh, ruptured a tendon in his foot and never played again. Um, he was, I think Crody was 28 or 29. Like he, that, he's a fullback. So from 28 to 34 is the time the fullbacks play their best footy. He'd played some good footy for us, but by 28 he's buggered. You know? And uh, Robbie, Robbie Campbell hurt his knee. Uh, Mark Williams had a degenerative knee and he was never the player again. So... Yeah, Croft retired. We knew that he was going to. Dewey, Dewey finished up a uh, season later. So we, despite winning in 2008, we thought, oh, geez, maybe the window started early for us and now beautiful. This is going to be a seven- or eight-year period of time. Uh, 2009 and early 2010, we fell away really, really quickly, not to the lower end of the ladder, but mid-table. Um, and we had to reinvent ourselves in a sense. But um, fortunately for the... Some things that we, um, yeah, the self, the the self awareness to understand where we were and what had happened to us was really important for us. You, you know, for a fair period of time there, you're sort of half in denial. It's just like, oh, shit, we're, we're the premiers. We we should be better than this. Um, but you know, if you actually got good people around you, you, you listen to them, and yeah, we we'd fallen away. So we uh, we got ourselves back going again, and um, that that. That helped us enormously, but there's some pain. Like 2011, we lost a, a prelim by a kick to mm. to to the oh, Pies, yeah. uh, and then the following year, we're, we 2012. In all my time coaching, was the best footy that we've played, um, and we were raging favourites to win the flag. Um, but we came up against the Sydney side that um, you know same sort of thing as in 2008. You know, Dennis Pagan used to always say to us at North, you know, the, just get yourself to prelims as often as you can. And um, and North in that period of time that Dennis was coached and got to seven prelims in a row. Um, but get there as often as you can. Guess what? The door will open for you sometimes and it'll close, unfortunately, in others. And North won flags when they shouldn't have. Um, you know, Carlton knocked off Essendon in 99. Um, when Essendon were raging favourites in that period, you know, they smacked all, they took all before them in 2000 on the back of disappointment in 99. But... Um, you know, Dennis said, just give yourself the opportunity. Sometimes, unfortunately, the door will smack in your face when it's least expected, and that was 2012 for us. Um, yet in 2015, in 2008 perhaps, uh, when we weren't perhaps expected to salute, um, you know, fortune favoured us, you know. So um, you just got to get there regularly enough, put yourself in a position often enough and um, knowing full well that when you're least expected, it'll come to you, and when you're do expect that it probably won't. So that's been our journey. Well, I think that's right. You've just summed it up there completely. But if you look at it now and, and to summarise, like 2008, obviously you won when 
you might not have been expected to. Heartbreak followed that, but without that, those next years, you probably wouldn't have won three in a row. We definitely wouldn't have because it's probably taught you there and got you to the sustain, uh, sustained success that you needed to, to do that in a row. Um, you won four flags and it's hard to, to pick favourites, so we won't. But one thing I love talking about and I love grand final day, like I, I try and go as much as I can. And I think from being in an industry, there's always publicly big moments in games that people might see on commentary and they think change the game. But as a player and inside the four walls, there's always those other moments that are held even closer. From your point of view, do any moments really stick out for you that internally changed games in those big games? Um, like, you know, it might have been something that a role player was playing or a little tidbit that not many would pick up off the ball um, that, that, that isn't on, you know, like Channel 7 or Channel 10 that these guys don't see. Yeah, well, a story that's become public because, you know, there's there's been books written by, um, you know, Mitch and Hodgie and Ruffy. Was a was a story around two thousand and twelve. Sam Mitchell was um, a highly decorated player and self made in a sense. You know, rejected in a in a draft, had to do the real hard yards, but was such a driven person. But that that drive was also a weakness of his, uh, because that drive would sometimes mean that his empathy for others or whatever was not as good as it could be at d- different stages. But in terms of drive of where he wanted to go, enormously powerful. But this is the journey that we were on, and Mitch was on this journey. And my job was to try to, um, like a sponge, take as much as we could out of that drive, but also over here, try to... Um, try to assist him as much as he can to bring others along with him. Um, but to be fair, he'd been rejected that many times. It was just like, shit, I've got to look after myself here because no one else is going to. So you can understand it. This, this is like footy. This is a, the tough, tough path to navigate. So Mitch um, Mitch in 2008 was the captain of the club, um, tagged by Cameron Ling, um, held the cup, kicked a... Really, really important goal for us and valuable goal. Left footer from about 45 out at the city end and in the grand final. But in his view, it was the only decent thing he did for the whole day. In fact, his stats at half time, he had more free kicks against than he had possessions. Now, for a guy who regularly got 35 touches, you know, that was just unacceptable for him um, and unacceptable for his coach and probably let him know it at half time that he needed to be better than what he was. He's captain of the club. and But um, out of that, in his own mind, despite holding up the cup, despite all his um, goals really being around trying to play in a premiership team, and he was dissatisfied with his own performance. And so 2012 rolled around, and by hell or high water, he was going to play well in that grand final, and he did. He one of our better players in terms of not having more free kicks than possessions at halftime. He had many more possessions <laughs> than free kicks at halftime in that 2012 Grand final, but his opponent also had a hell of a lot. Mm. His opponent was Ryan O'Keefe, who ended up winning the Norm Smith Medal and helping Sydney win. Out of that, out of that pivotal moment in his life, uh, and on reflecting um, on the game himself, and um, yeah, he, he he gave away a fifty meter penalty halfway through the third quarter, which was just so. He Mitch is just so. Um, in the game, aware of what's going on, where players are, his teammates, where the space is, where the congestion is, where his teammates are, where opposition are, where the goals are, like what's going on in the crowd. He's just so astute, um, including you know rules when the whistle's blown, how much time you got, you know who's picked up the ball, should they give it back to an opponent? He flippantly threw a ball back. To, he just wasn't. He was. He was in Sam Mitchell. Mode, not Hawthorne mode in that game, far too much as a result of what had happened, transpired in 2008. And so, in his own mind, um, he think he thought to himself, I've, I've cost Hawthorne um, this game. And the real moving thing for him was that by hell or high water, I'm going to next year not worry about my own personal sacrifice and Buddy was the same Buddy I think by that stage knew that he was leaving Hawthorne and going to go to Sydney when he played in the 2013 Grand Final so we had two guys perhaps outside of Hodgie our our two most decorated players in Buddy and Sam who were prepared to do anything of sacrifice 
uh, to their own game that was going to be for the betterment of the side. So with Bud, uh, Luke McFarlane was a fantastic fullback and actually had the better over many duels with Bud. And so, but we we knew that he was going to go to go to Franklin. Um, how could we use Bud as a decoy higher up the ground that took Frank that took McFarlane away from yeah the 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 key part of the ground where he could defend? Um, and how could we expose another another defender for Fremantle? Or and so Jack Gunson kicks four goals in that grand final in a low scoring grand final. So Bud. Despite not having a great grand final, he's a member of a premiership side and we salute and he's held strange sort of way. McFarlane has no influence on the game. But similar with Sam Mitchell, we know that Ryan Crowley's go to Sam Mitchell. Um, we also know that Sanderlands is going to get his hand on most of the most of the hit outs in the in the ruck and he's gonna to try to hit it to either Fife or Mundy that are big men. Like these guys are six foot three, six foot four. And you know, 90, 92 to ninety five kilos. Mitch is one hundred and eighty at best, um, and you know eighty two kilos, eighty four kilos. And so he's given away weight, he's given away height, and he's given away numbers because it's Sanderlands <laughs> to either Fife or Monday, and Crowley is more or less suffocating him like a blanket. Um, but Mitch, do this job for us, mate. Just be a train wreck player um, because it'll take two or three of them. It'll take the Ruckman, one or five or Monday, and Crowley. Somewhere there's two extra players for us. Now, he ended up with eight or 10 or 13 touches for the game. And everyone in the crowd goes, oh, yeah, well, Mitchell's had another disappointing game um, in, a, in a grand final for us. Um, and for his teammates, and only within the walls of our footy club do they understand uh, just the significance and the impact that his sacrifice made for us in that grand final. And then the next year we play in 2014, we play against Sydney, and Sydney obviously reflect on that 2013 game. They're not dumb. They've looked at that game. They say, geez, Sam Mitchell looked after three players for Fremantle that day. There's another two guys for Hawthorne that probably played well in a grand final for for Hawthorne all because of Sam Mitchell because they were just running around on their own most of the day. Um, we're not going to let that happen to us. So now Sam Mitchell gets freed up to just play the game. And finally, after three grand finals, he plays his fourth grand final and he gets what his wish was to have a significant influence on grand final day where we win the flag and he plays the game in the way that he'd like to play and he gets his 30 touches um, he was in the best two or three players on the ground and he feels like finally yeah. he's made a significant contribution. But this is the journey of AFL footy and despite he and I and we all thinking that we want to do it our way, sometimes you've sometimes you just got to go through some hard yards and we've been through plenty. We've had some success too, but you know, this, right on the eve of the 2015 grand final, our captain of the club, Hodgie, gets done for DUI. Mm. It's just like, Christ. <laughs> you know, but there's just... These are young men and they'll make some blues along the way. And, yeah, you have to withstand the public scrutiny. You know, you've got to understand your player. You've got to understand the environment. You know, you've already been dealt with by the, by the court of law. You've been dealt with, in a sense, because you've been publicly shamed by being on the front page of the newspaper. Do we need to add to it as well by saying, oh, we're going to impose a one-week suspension or... Now, there'll be times where you do need to do that. I can remember giving Hodgie a one-week break in the first year that I coached at the club um, for an indiscretion. So it's not like – but there's time. There's a time and place and everyone and every event needs to be treated on its merits. And um, and so we, we chose that period, point in time to – uh, to back Hodgie in, he'd made, a, he'd made a blue. And that, strangely enough, galvanised our group. We went across to Perth. We played West Coast in the first final. It was on the back of all this hysteria and speculation around whether he should even play, whether he should be captain of the club, should we stand him down, all this. But because of all that, we didn't play well. Uh, Hodgie didn't play well. Um, but um, it, galvan- it galvanised our group. And then we came back and smacked Adelaide the next week. Uh, which Hodgie kicked the first goal. Um, then we had to go back to Perth to, to beat Fremantle, and you know, Cyril did this fantastic bit of bit of play to turn the ball over at centre forward and kicked the goal. And and 
um, and sealed the game for us against Frio. And then we, we had to play West Coast again here, which is a hot day. Um, and we had a, a, an older list than what Frio did, other than what uh, West Coast did. Um, and we weren't expected to, to win that game. But the, in a really, really strange way, that event of Hodgie buggering up was what galvanised our galvanised our group and our club um, and uh, allowed us to, to win a game that perhaps we might not have won had, had he not done what he did. Mate, that's incredible insight. Um, and that's the only things you'd know if you're in the four walls of the club. Now, I, when I get players on the show, normally I like to ask them, what their best coach spray was. Unfortunately, I was on a few of uh, end of a few of them, which um, I still remember. Actually, one of your good friends, Bolts, he gave me one one day. He could have been speaking Chinese. I don't actually know what he said, but I knew what he meant. Okay, it, it hurt. But um, one thing I always ask players, and they give their best. Now, you being a very successful coach, I'm sure there might have been times when things boil over and you need to give a spray. Does does anything st- um, stand out to you? The the other thing that you need to need to do and I've become much better at this in the um, in the latter stages of my coaching career is, is is pick your mark but Hodge Mitchell and Lewis were all were all guys that were um, you know old school um, want to be hit straight between the eyes um, and number number one they, they loved honesty um, they, they loved immediacy um, so you get it out there straight away. Um, and they also uh, had this about them about, well, I'll show you, you prick, um, this, this response that you get. Like after, after we came back from um, that West Coast game when we lost in that final and Hodgie had transgressed the week before and uh, I can remember it wasn't, a, it wasn't a spray in front of everyone it was just a spray me and him and the spray wasn't anything to do with his transgression the spray was you weren't the Luke Hodge he was you know, just despite him being seeming bulletproof and thick skin and tough and um you know he's got a, he's got a conscience so when he went over there to play in that west coast game he wasn't the bull that I know that plays the game tough and uh, close to the edge and physical and respectful um, but you know, tough and hard um, he was he was running around getting kicks and he, you know you go get the stats of that game he had 35 touches and he was or 32 touches or something he's in our best two players on the ground and everyone so you know, despite all the adversity of the previous week Luke, Luke Hodge at least still played well mm. but his team didn't because his his approach of just you know, skirting around the edges and getting easy touches. Well, he's a good player. He knew how to go and get the ball. Um, but he wasn't the Luke Hodge that I knew that day. And I told him so on Monday. Well, he wanted to, like if looks could kill, he wanted to destroy me on that Monday after the game. But as I said, his response to that, loved the honesty. He didn't like what he was hearing, but he loved the honesty. He respected what my, what my opinion was. And he responded in the right way. He was our best player the next week against Adelaide. And um, but it's just it's just picking your mark and knowing when it needs to be done in a group setting in a in a in a one v one. But importantly, um, if if you see it, say it. But pick pick your mark with that. And some don't respond in such a such a good way to that type of that type of spray. Um, some do though, and you know, Hodgie, Hodgie, Mitch, and Sam Mitchell were three guys that all responded really, really well. I didn't like it, <laughs> um, but they always responded really, really well to uh, any any feedback that you give them about their performance. Every bloke that I spoke to that you've coached and, and you still coach, they say they don't really see you as a footy coach, they see you as a life coach. And without having those relationships, you can't give sprays that people will probably feed from. Um, transferring that now into the in the coaching side of things, into the mental health side of the game, um, I know it's something you're extremely passionate about. I am myself as well. Um, the reason we're now best mates is we're both um, ambassadors for, for Tackle Your Feelings, which is a you know a mental health training program for for community AFL coaches and especially in rural towns because out there the footy clubs is life and and growing up and having coaches and that can impact players in a in a positive space is is what it's all about. Um, why are you so passionate about mental health? It probably comes back to my, um, my, my country upbringing. I understand that 
um, the football netball club in the town uh, and, the, and the cricket and tennis clubs in the, in the summer too, but, but football and netball clubs in the winter in a small community town, uh, the hub of the community. Um, you'll have farmers that have been on tractors and isolated for the whole of the week, but they get an opportunity to come into the town on the weekend to follow their, their local team, catch up with their mates and talk about what their week's been about, which is just so, Im- so important. And um, so I understand, understand that side of it. Um, also understand what's, what's going on now in terms of um, – and I, I saw it right back many, many years ago. A great friend of mine going through school, he's – his older brother committed suicide. Um, and it's just like, how could, how could that have happened? You know, and, and since then, you know, like a, a great mate of mine going through school, um, Mick Trone, who um, he, he, he took his life um, in, the, in the last five years and, and Spud Frawley took his life. And if you could have told me two blokes mm. that I knew um, – you know, going through my schooling, you know, 30-something years ago and then meeting, you know, I've known the Frawley's, Frawley family for a long, long period of time. But how could, how could that happen? So there's, there's you know, the, the, the black dog or this, this, this spectrum that we all live on. You know, I just used to think, oh, you're either unfortunately got caught up in you know, feeling no good about yourself and you either liked that or you felt positive about yourself and so it was either one or the other when in actual fact we sort of all live on this spectrum that has good or bad in our lives and events that and so the event in my life was my brother being killed in a car accident when I was going through school in Ballarat and it could it could have actually sent me and for a period of time I was all over the place really and just lucky really uh, I had family and friends and some some people that looked after me and steered me in the right direction because I could have quite easily. And many will say to you, if you knew Clarkson between you know sixteen years of age and nineteen years of age, it's just like, well, geez, he's he's a little bit out there. Hmm. And I was lucky to find my find my path, which was which was AFL AFL footy, and the professionalism of that allowed me to sort of get back on track, but. Um, I was I was just lucky I navigated my way through those years from sixteen to nineteen, okay, um, but geez I, 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 I did some things I'm not too proud of in that period of time. Yeah, this this spectrum would would have us all go through these experiences, but unfortunately, um, some who I talk about above the line and below the line. Above the line meaning yeah, in a space where you positive and thinking of good things about your life and what's going on in it and then below the line it's just like geez your brother's just been killed in a car accident or you've just lost your job or you've just been uh, kicked off the footy team or whatever it might be uh, and then getting down about something or geez there's a there's a drought you know these farmers or oh, you know Bucking and Corriong and all those communities King Lake you know and South you know all these communities that just have their um, their lifeblood ripped out of their communities because you know fire rips through their towns uh and their communities and it's just like um how can you how can you that that event not not define you how can you get back above the line and that's where i know community football clubs can assist so much because particularly in the bush where the livelihood of a lot of these families are is out in remote regions where they're not um conversing with one another and talking through what their feelings at the end of the day all this is communication fortunately footy clubs is about people and about communication um and what a footy club does in the country each week or and on, on game day and then perhaps twice a week on a tuesday and a thursday night at trainings allows people to come together and it's just like and either with observation through eyes or listening or whatever, just observe how people are going and what support they might need. And when they need support, what can you say or do at that point in time to help this person get above the line, either by the actions that you've got with what you've said or by just having a basic conversation that helps get that person above the line himself. And um, yeah, that, it's, it's just recognising there's this, there's this spectrum, we all live on it, 
um, and we all have our good days and our and our bad days, or our good moments and our and our bad moments. And can we can we recognise triggers ourselves that helps us get above that above that line? Um, and where possible, can we educate football communities, in particular football coaches, that in that environment in that community, what can you guys be doing to create the environment that allows more of your people to recognise when they're below the line and how, how can they get above it? Um, and I think um, as an ambassador, if this tackle your feelings, if we can get that out there, me and you and several others who are going to be ambassadors, and Leon Cameron and many more who's going to be out there trying to spread that message, I know that um, you know, the um, football clubs right around the country, and it doesn't just need to be, for me, my, my passion is around country because that's where I came from and I know the importance of a footy club in the community, I know the implications it's got and the, and the, the catastrophic implications it's got if it's um, of events that take place if it doesn't work out so well. Um, but this is, this is metropolitan footy clubs. It's, uh, it's not just Victoria, it's South Australia, Western Australia, it's you know, Tiwi Islands, it's up, in, up the north of uh, Queensland, it's everywhere really. If we can get the message across then... Um, hopefully we'll make a difference. Yeah, I'm sure we will, mate. I think it's you've absolutely nailed it there in terms of coaches having a, such a, a high responsibility that they might not know they actually have to to be picking up awareness signs of players. Because if you've got happy players and people off field and their lives going well off field, then you know things will transgress on field, whether that's locally, professionally, um, and from all reports, that's that's what your players love about you as a coach is that you you worry more about them as a person. Because then you know that if things are going well for them as a person, then they're going to be going well as a player. Yep. Alistair Clarkson, um, it's been an absolute pleasure. Mate, you've been so generous with your time. Looking forward to working with you for Tackle Your Feelings. If you want to know more about that, head to the website. We'll have that in the show notes. And um, I'm pumped for you 2021, mate. It's going to be huge. Hopefully the Hawks can um, win a few games. If you need me to come down and show them a few things, I'm more than happy to do that. I might be to be a tackle coach, big beast like yourself, just well, show the boys how to uh, Yeah, how to I, I did keep Soriel in like three goals on day, so I'm actually quite happy to, I'm happy to do that anytime. Good on you. Thanks, mate. If that wasn't enough for you and you want even more, you're in luck. Dylan Friends is now on Patreon. Dylan Best Friends. If you'd like to learn more, you can head to patreon.com forward slash Dylan Friends or you can head to the link in the show notes. Thanks for listening to the Dylan Friends podcast. If you like the show, it'd be a massive help if you could like, follow, rate, leave a review or even share with your friends. The show is produced by myself and Sam Bonza. Damon Jackman from Creative Edge Films is responsible for audio and visual production. The show is recorded at the Dylan Friends Studio in Melbourne, Australia. If you'd like to get in touch or suggest a guest or advertise with the Dylan Friends podcast, please email us at inquiries at dylanfriends.com. Thanks so much for tuning in.